Good morning. It's always a great day when we can be together as a church family. Today is a special day because it kicks off our annual preacher training camp where we take young men from all over our area to come and spend a week here at Oldham Lane to learn about the art of leadership and preaching. That kicks off today at 4 o'clock. In fact, we already have one of our young men who is here uh, from the Promised Land, from Searcy, Arkansas. Braden, great to have you with us. Glad you're here. We have others that will be rolling in today. We start at 4 o'clock. I hope you'll be here tonight at 5 o'clock as we kick off during our worship service, Preacher Training Camp. I'm going to introduce you to the kids that we have being with us this week. And also Wayne Roberts, who is our homiletics teacher during the week. Homiletics, of course, being a fancy word for the art of preaching. He's going to kick off the series tonight by preaching to us. I also want to say that another great week of the year that we have here at Oldham Lane is our Shine Girls Camp. And that is starting July 5th this year. And the deadline to sign up is today. So if you haven't signed up, if you're interested, see you can see Debbie, you can see Terry Nolan, you can see Letha Bailey, you can see myself, and uh, we'll get you connected there. It's a great week as well. So there was this bodybuilder world-renowned, that went to do an exhibition in Africa. And so he shows up in his skimpy underwear like they do, not much else, and he starts posing and flexing for the crowd, and, and everyone is in awe of this statuesque gentleman who didn't seem to have an ounce of fat on him. His muscles seem to have muscles. It's like he could probably pick up the entire arena and lift it over his head, He's a very strong man, and it showed in his flexing and his posing. And afterwards, he stayed around, and he greeted all of his admirers. He signed autographs. He took pictures with them. But there's one gentleman that came up to him and said, can I ask you a question? And the bodybuilder said, yes, of course. And the man asked him, so what else do you use those muscles for? And the bodybuilder looked confused. He said, well, nothing. This is it. And the gentleman said, what a waste. And walked away. I mean, what a waste it would be to have all those rippling muscles and never put them to use. What a waste it would be to have all these spiritual muscles and never really put them to use. I mean, it's one thing to be able to recite lengthy passages of the Bible, but if that's all we use our spiritual muscle for, then what a waste, right? It's one thing to be able to teach a class on Leviticus, but if we don't make application to God's Word, then what use is it really? It's one thing to be able to dissect the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek of a different word in the Bible, but if that's all we know, if that's all we can do with these spiritual muscles, what a waste, right? You're going to get sick of hearing me say this, maybe you have already, but this is the fight of our lives. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. This is war, and you cannot choose not to fight. You have to choose a side. In fact, every person in the world today has chosen a side, whether they realize it or not. And as Christians, when you become a child of God, you are enlisted in the Lord's army. So, soldiers of Christ, arise. Put your armor on, right? Get ready to fight because this is World War me. Satan is after me. He's after you. The battle belongs to the Lord, as we talked about last week, and so we fight on His side because me plus God equals a majority. And nothing can keep me from heaven when God is on my side. Paul stated it this way, 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, 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 no. Then he says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nothing, not a, not a thing can keep us from God's love and God's presence. Now, don't think that Satan won't try. James says that he is a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour, right? It's kind of like those nature documentaries where you have a lion who is searching out his prey and he, he finds a herd of, of, you know, wildebeest or gazelles or whatever and he's hunkered down in the grass and he's creeping along and then he jumps out and he chases after the herd and, and there seems to be one in the herd that gets lost or gets confused, doesn't know which way to go. And it's usually one that's, that's younger, maybe he's more vulnerable, maybe he's wounded, doesn't know which direction to go. That's how Satan operates. He's the prowling lion that picks out the most vulnerable in the group. And if we want to keep from being the lion's lunch, then we've got to stick with the herd, right? We stick with our church family to keep from being prey. The prowling lion named Satan is looking for someone to devour, so don't be an easy target, right? You avoid being the lion's lunch by traveling with the herd and by sticking close to God. As James had also said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Stay with the herd, stay with God, and you'll be protected. But before anything can happen in your life, before you can enlist in the Lord's army, before you begin to fight, before you can claim victory, you have to die. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Discipleship begins with a death. Until you have a funeral, there can be no victory. Now, I want to show you something that Paul says, and we've actually talked about it a couple of times over the last year or so, but I think it bears repeating. This is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1, notice what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such people as these. So it's easy to read this and say, well, spot on, Paul, bravo. Because that certainly is how the world is today. However, this is not a commentary on the world. Paul is giving a commentary on the church. And it's not the old sorehead that sits in the pew and gripes about everything that you have to worry about. It's elders. It's preachers. It's Bible class teachers. 
It's people in leadership. They put on a good front. They hold to a form of godliness. But I want you to notice the one characteristic that sets these people apart. Paul says that they are lovers of self. That is the primary characteristic that sets these people apart. There will be other characteristics. They will also be lovers of money and boastful and arrogant, etc. But all of these attributes are really just a manifestation of being a lover of self. A man loves money because he loves himself. A man is boastful and arrogant because he loves himself way too much. You're irreconcilable and a malicious gossip and void of self-control and ungrateful and unloving and unholy because you're too self-absorbed. You love pleasure more than you love God because ultimately you love yourself more than you love anything else. And this is scary because these last days that Paul mentions here, we're in them. It's the time you're living in right now. It's the age we're currently living in, the age that we'll be living in until Christ returns. You know, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, it used to be that you would go to the beach and you would soak in the scenery. You would uh, watch the sun set on the horizon over the ocean. You would just lose yourself in the sound of the waves beating against the shore. There used to be a time when you would go to the mountains and you would pull off to the side of the road and you would, you would take in the scenery, the majesty of God's creation. There was a time when you would go to the Grand Canyon or Mount Rushmore or Old Faithful or, or Hoover Dam and you would just sit and you would look and gaze upon the beauty of the scenery. Now... We go to those places, and the first thing we do is we take a picture of me, right? We pull out our phone, and we take a picture of the scenery, but we're at the forefront, right? We even have these sticks that you put your phone on, and you can hold it out and push a button, and you take a, a wider picture of everybody there. What do we call these? We call them selfies, right? So you know what a selfie is. You've heard of that term. Have you heard of this term, narcissism? You know, narcissism is defined as an unhealthy focus on self. It used to be called narcissism anyway, now it's called Facebook or Instagram. And it's perfectly normal. We don't think anything of it anymore. It's totally and completely normal to set up a page about yourself where you post pictures of yourself for the purpose of getting other people to comment or like these pictures and these posts about yourself. We live in a selfie world, and social media has only heightened and further exposed and encouraged even this reality. And, and understand, I don't want to be the old guy shaking his fist at the cloud. You know, the world used to be better. I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I've, I've posted selfies. I'm sure we all have, some more than others. But anyway... I just want to bring to focus how we live in a selfie world and what it is doing to us, what it is encouraging. Why do we feel the need to post pictures of ourselves, some of which can be rather immodest or revealing, and then constantly check to see how many likes and, and, and comments that we get from friends and acquaintances and even total strangers? Why does someone have that much control over us? 
that we need their approval, right? Did you know that if you have an iPhone, there is a setting on your iPhone called selfie mode that you can get into the, uh, the camera app and you can swipe over to portrait and you can, you know, put your face in the little square there and you can use one of the volume buttons to take a selfie. And then in your photos section, there's actually a heading for selfies that will keep them collected there so you can go back and admire them or post them later. Selfie mode is not just a setting on your phone, it's a general setting for life as well. And if you're, if you're wondering if you're stuck in selfie mode, here's maybe a description to help you. You're chronically late. You expect everyone else to wait on you. Sharing doesn't come easy for you. You become moody when someone else gets the spotlight. Your lips are not able to form the words, I'm sorry. You're a bad listener. Here's another one. You walk into worship with your basket empty, expecting it to be filled. Rather than coming to worship with your basket full, ready to empty it out. I sure hope they sing the songs I like. I sure hope worship doesn't go too long. I sure hope Chris doesn't use another sports analogy. (laughs) Every Sunday in churches across our globe, there are countless individuals who come in selfie mode to worship God. The best thing all of us can do this morning is turn off selfie mode. Begin at worship and let it transfer over into the rest of your week, into the rest of your life. I want you to consider what David said in Psalm 24. Excuse me, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. David says, I I just want to be with you, God. I just want to be with you. I am in awe of you. I don't want to look at anyone but you. I want to be in your presence. I want to just stare at you and drink you in. No selfies, just you, O Lord. And then notice what John writes in Revelation 5. Then I looked, and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on the earth or under the earth or on the sea and all the things in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. One of the things that I grab out of this passage is apparently there are no mirrors in heaven because people weren't looking at themselves. They were looking at God, the creator. Every created thing was focused on worshiping God. They were, they were only looking at him because they understood something that we all need to understand. And that is this. There is someone so much more beautiful to look at. Now, don't get me wrong. All of you are beautiful. You're gorgeous in your own way. Some more than others, but still. No matter how beautiful you are, there is someone way more beautiful to look at. There is someone much more glorious to focus on. Instead of always being stuck in selfie mode, let's look to God. 
Let's stare at him. Let's focus on him. Listen to the words of Paul, Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one person. Purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. In essence, Paul says, don't come in here in selfie mode. Can you imagine if everyone did this? Can you imagine if everyone turned off selfie mode as they came into worship? Not only that, can you imagine if we all turned off selfie mode when we left here and went about our daily routine? What if everyone emptied themselves? What if everyone looked out for the interest of others rather than the interest of themselves? Can you imagine how amazing this church would be? Can you imagine the impact we would make on the world around us if we walked around in life like this? Imagine the impact that we could make that instead of merely looking out for our own personal interest, we looked out for the interest of others. This isn't about you. The focus is not on you. Look at God. Look at others. Let that be your focus because it's about what's pleasing to God. And that's the secret to joy and contentment. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 5. I'm I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I just want you to turn there, okay? Hebrews chapter 5. What? Is this weird? Well, so is this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is acquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. It's weird that I drink out of a baby bottle. It's also weird for someone who is a supposed mature Christian to be going back and needing milk. It's not normal, it's weird for a Christian to not progress, to stay in perpetual infancy. And yet too many Christians come to church each week seeking out someone to feed them, mainly the preacher or the elders. Even though they have been a Christian for many years, they walk in kind of like that baby bird in the nest with their mouth open, feed me, feed me. That's strange. That's odd. Feed me, feed me. No, not that. I want something else. Wham, 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 right? We see it all the time. Why are we not growing? Why are we not maturing? Because it's odd. It's weird that we don't. It's weird that we're drinking out of a baby bottle when we should be eating meat. Yes, the preacher should feed you. Yes, he should feed you well. Yes, the shepherds should feed you. Yes, the Bible class should feed you, and it should feed you well. But there is a point where you have to take off the bib and put on an apron. There comes a point where you've got to move from being a passive consumer to an active participant. And that's part of what it means to empty yourself and to see others as more important 
than yourself. Man, I hate milk. I can't believe I sucked that down. (laughs) But you know what we need more than anything else? We need to be saved. And you say, well, yeah, Chris, of course, saved from our sins. No, I'm talking about we need to be saved from ourselves. What you need more than anything else is to be saved from you. Before you can be rescued, you have to be rescued from yourself. Jesus came to rescue me from me. Before Chris McCurley became a child of God, Chris McCurley was hurting himself. Chris McCurley was following the broad path to misery. Chris McCurley was headed down the path of destruction, a path away from God, and God had a solution. How about we kill Chris McCurley? That's the solution. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Discipleship begins with a funeral. It's death to self. That's the picture of baptism that we see illustrated in Scripture. It's being crucified and buried and then rising as a new creation. It's saying, God, I don't want Chris McCurley in charge anymore. Can you please kill Chris McCurley? Because Chris McCurley hurts people. Chris McCurley gossips about other people. Chris McCurley acts ungodly and unrighteous. Chris McCurley thinks only about himself. Chris McCurley is stuck in selfie mode. God, please kill Chris McCurley so that the Spirit can fill him and lead him. Let's have a funeral. Let's give a proper burial to Chris McCurley so that he can rise a new creature in Christ. Because life and living only finds meaning in a relationship with Jesus Christ. No one else can give you the life that you expect. So many people are empty because they're trying to find life in things other than Jesus. And Jesus said in John 10 and 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know what the thief does? The thief comes in and kills and destroys. And do you know how he does it? You know how the thief comes in and kills and destroys? He does it by handing you a mirror, by handing you a cell phone and saying, focus on you. Get stuck in selfie mode. That's what happened in the garden, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Look there again with me. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. What's Satan doing here? He's shifting Eve's focus, isn't he? He's shifting her focus away from God and on that which is forbidden. Don't listen to God, he says. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. God doesn't want you to be like him. He's jealous, so he doesn't want you to eat from that tree. He's just trying to keep you from enjoying your best life. You do you, do you Eve. Be Eve and enjoy yourself. Just be yourself, right? And so we know what Eve does. She eats from the wrong menu. Then she pulls out her iPhone, and she takes a selfie of her and the tree and the serpent. And post on social media, living my best life? Okay, maybe she didn't do it that way. But you get the idea. Satan tries to sell us on, you just be you. 
Just be you. Just do you. But I'm here to tell you that's Satan's basic lie. Don't do you. Jesus comes along and says, no, don't do you. Do Jesus. Because that's the better way. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says it's time for a funeral. Death to selfie. Quit looking in the mirror and look to God. Instead of being full of yourself, be full of Him because there's someone so much more beautiful to look at. Two men were traveling on a plane. Sitting beside one another and the one gentleman decides to strike up a conversation with the guy next to him. And so it's a lot of small talk. Who are you? Where are you from? That kind of thing. And then he asked the man what he did for a living. And the man responds, I'm a Navy SEAL. Well, that piqued the guy's interest. It led to a plethora of questions, probably annoying him to death. But he asked him at one point, he said, so you're a Navy SEAL, but you can't carry a gun with you, can you? Not on a plane. And he said, no, no, sir, no gun. He said, doesn't that bother you that you can't have a weapon with you when you might need it? And the Navy SEAL looked the man in the eye and he said, sir, I am a weapon. Hear me loud and clear this morning. You are a weapon. You are a weapon that God is using to go against the devil, against his forces of evil. You are an unstoppable force. The the devil has no chance of winning this because you are a weapon. You plus God equals victory. But here's the deal. Victory doesn't come until there's a death. If you want to win, you must die. A, a, A common refrain in our culture is, Just be yourself. Listen to me. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't be yourself. Yourself stinks. Don't be you. Be something much better. Be Jesus. And if we can help you with that this morning, why don't you come as we stand and as we see.